recently I've been able, if you, you know, if somebody was to look at my rounds, you can see that I, you know, I'm doing well. And then I have a couple like tumble holes and then I do well again. So I just, I, I'm able to regroup. And that's the reason why we want to play this is because, you know, when you're at the U.S. Open or you're about to win, you need to be able to just keep doing two plus two equals four. Zoro is a media platform designed to help you think better, create engaging conversations, and inspire you to do dope shit. We host podcasts like the one you're about to listen to, make videos, write articles, and share the work of interesting people. Whether we speak with doctors, designers, athletes, or music artists, we know that this conversation will leave you with a different perspective, and we hope that this conversation inspires you to live a more fulfilling life. If an episode of this podcast has made your life better in some small way, please take a few seconds to send this show to someone else. The best way to spread love is to share what you love. If you'd like to keep up with all things Augzoro, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and subscribe to The Source, our twice-monthly newsletter. In this action-packed email, we send you the latest Augzoro content, as well as articles, podcasts, books, shows, and other content we find exciting and useful. Go to auxoro.com slash the source or visit the link in the podcast description to join over 10,000 other subscribers. Also, you can now support Auxoro on Patreon for just a few bucks a month. On Patreon, you get early access to Auxoro guest episodes, exclusive access to weekend episodes of our daily insights podcast, The Aux, and exclusive access to Bro Logic, a podcast where my two brothers and I give our unfiltered views on what's happening in the world. Go to patreon.com slash Auxoro or visit the link in podcast description to become a patron today. Thank you for your support. This time, I sit down with Elsa Diaz, professional golfer and also a fellow former Richmond Spider. This was a super fun episode, and we spoke about a lot of things that can apply both on and off the course, even if you've never picked up a golf club. On this episode, we got into what drew Elsa and her sister Sarah to the game of golf, the different types of communication styles and relationships, how to regain lost focus under pressure key advice from Rory McIlroy, and more. Without further ado, please enjoy this deep dive with Elsa Diaz. Roll Spides. figured a a good place to start since we both went to University of Richmond would be how do you look back on your time that you spent at Richmond? Are there any sort of standout periods? It could have to be with golf. It it could be a personal thing that you were going through or just any, any period that stands out when you think about Richmond. The, my experience at the University of Richmond is one that I would probably do exactly the same. I loved Richmond. Uh, I think it was a perfect fit for me because I really wanted to play Division One golf, and but I wanted to make sure I got my education. And I think Richmond. I mean, you with you going there, you know that they don't let you get away with anything. Yeah, and they make sure that they're putting that education um, in your, you know, 
in your mind, in your head, and you're and you're coming out with a with a with a, with good effort put into school. And that's what I really enjoyed because I felt like I could spend a lot of time at the golf course. And no matter how much time I spent, I was I was you know I was getting my education, which is what I really enjoyed. I also really liked that aspect that you know when I was at the University of Richmond, I was already preparing to be a professional. I already knew what I wanted to do. And it was small enough that if I missed the parties, if I wasn't in the dining room all the time, you still, because it was such a small school, you could still, you know, get to know a lot of people. And it was okay if you sat at a stranger's table and just started chatting with them because, you know, soon enough you'd have a class with them. So that I really liked that. And then I think when I also started school, I was on a full golf scholarship and, and I just felt like all my competitors were, you know, there's a lot of girls in women's golf that don't go to college. They turn pro right away mm-hmm. and they're getting that experience. And I just felt like my freshman and CS sophomore year that I was like, I just want to go play professionally. But the University of Richmond has so many resources to offer. And my junior year, I started my marketing degree and that's when it all clicked. And I was like, I can yeah. use this school's resources for, for my career. And that's when I started going to professors office hours and I just talk to them, talk to them about what I wanted to do. And there's been a ton of University of Richmond alumni that have helped me along the way. So it was, it was a perfect path for what I wanted to do. I'm interested in this because I also felt like I was preparing myself to play professional sports, which was Mm -hmm. baseball. My goal was to be drafted after my junior year or just any time really after school. And ended up not doing that. One, because I wasn't good enough. And two, because I had a couple elbow surgeries, mm-hmm. which after that, I, oh I, was a, I was a serviceable college pitcher, but I was not at the pro level like yourself for your sport. How did you navigate doing school and, and all the things that come with college, but also preparing to be a professional golfer after the fact? Well, you know, I definitely would say that I wasn't the best at it. You know, on top of that, me I, too. Yeah, me too. You, because you know, I had, I just, I wanted to spend all the as much time as I could on the golf course, and at the same time, I wanted to make sure I had money saved up. So when I left, if I needed a little room to find my sponsors, um, I hadn't. So I actually even worked. There was a time where I like worked three jobs while going to school and playing golf. So. I was like, really? yeah, that was my junior year and the beginning of my senior year. And it was a tough time. But um, what were these jobs? So I was a waitress at Independence Golf Club. That's where our that's where our team would practice. And so okay. I would always ask my coach for like the early tea times because I had to start waitressing at like three o'clock and I would study like in the kitchen. And um, I just felt like that motivated me to work even mm-hmm. harder. I was also at exact at independence. I also worked weddings. So people were partying on Saturdays. I was partying, serving food at weddings, which was really fun as well. Um, Sometimes I could maybe catch a gathering by the time I got Mm -hmm. out at like one in the morning, but usually I, I didn't make it. Everybody was done partying at that time. Yeah. And all the bars, I'm in New York, all the, all the bars in Richmond closed. Yeah. One thirties last call, New York place. They're open here till between four and six in the morning. But yeah, I, I always forget when I go back to Richmond that things are starting to wrap up 
around 115, 130 and everyone's done partying. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it was good. It, it, it definitely kept me out of trouble, kept me focused. And my other job was that I worked as student worker in the production, in this athletic, you know, in the whole production, mm-hmm. editing, filming. And so I would film men's basketball games, women's basketball games. I did a couple of baseball events um, and I did some lacrosse, even though I did not know anything about lacrosse. I just took as many good yeah. pictures as I could. <laughs> I, I admire your discipline. I don't think I would have had, well, I didn't have the same discipline to work and think about saving up money for pro sports after school, especially with all the partying I did. And <laughs> my, my great, my grades, my grades definitely suffered my last couple years in school when I was focusing more on baseball. But yeah, I, I wasn't really thinking about the, the financial lifestyle of a minor league professional baseball player after school, which is shit. It's like, it, it's really, it's a really bad pay. I guess if, if I was good enough to get drafted, I would have been smacked in the face with having zero savings account. So I, I admire that you were thinking about that ahead of time. Well, you know, what I did was that in the summers between every college year, I tried to live like, I tried to be like, okay, I'm just going to pretend like I'm a professional golfer right now. And I was going to try to live exactly the same exact lifestyles just because I wanted to know, like, because I had heard, you know, you either, you know, you play golf because you like golf, but you also have to like the lifestyle. Right. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. it's the same way with baseball, especially baseball. You guys are everywhere all the time, such a long season for you guys as well. So I tried to just mimic that. And so I was waitressing and I remember that I would waitress and try to pay my entry fees and it was actually really funny. One tournament, I was very low on money. And I remember they said they were going to give free free lunch. And I was so excited because I would eat mm-hmm. the free lunch and then take one to go and make it my dinner. And yeah. that was actually the Virginia Stroke Play Championship, which is the event that I won when I was the lowest. Well, I barely had anything in my bank account. So um, it's kind of funny how those things work out. Really, really makes you think. Is it a common thing for you to visualize what the the future will be and try to adjust your life to that? Like you were doing, visualizing being a professional golfer before you were actually a professional golfer? Because in baseball, that's not common. Guys do not think, guys think about the upper echelon of being a major league baseball player, getting those checks, driving the cars, like playing in front of 50,000 people. And I, I think some, some guys do are aware of the realities of minor league playing beforehand if they know someone or maybe their dad was a minor league baseball player. But for the most part, most college baseball guys are always focused on the glorious aspect of the upper echelon of sports and not really preparing themselves for, okay, I'm going to make $800 a month after rent. I might do this for eight years. Is is this the lifestyle that I want to lead? And can I picture myself doing that until I'm like, you know, maybe 29, 30 and and break into it. Is that something that you commonly do in your life where you'll take the future? Because I think that's pretty uncommon where you take the future and then you kind of adopt that routine before you actually get into it. That's something that I started doing because I caught myself in college thinking, okay, when I'm, you know, a professional golfer, I'll be, I'll be eating healthier. I'll be fit when I'm a professional golfer, you know, and kids, you know, are asking for my autograph. Like that's when I'll be nicer, you know, like that's Mm -hmm. when I'll be like, you know, 
yeah. talking to everybody and saying hello and what and then it hit me that i was like okay if i want to be the number one golfer in the world and i started questioning myself like how would i act right how would i treat the people around me and i've kind of and i kind of started adopting that when i was in college and you, know, you start thinking about the laws of attraction and everything that's when i I just felt, you know, if I want to be the number one golfer in the world, then I better start acting like one. Because when I get there, then I wouldn't have to change. Like I was thinking, what am I trying to get fit when I'm a professional golfer? It doesn't happen in one day, you know. So that's when I really started just implementing everything when I was in college. Yeah, yeah. It seems like that mentality could apply to a lot of areas in life where you have to kind of reverse engineer the type of person you want to be based on how you have to live in order to attain that status, whatever it is, whether it's a, a pro golfer or pro podcaster, pro chef, like whatever you're doing to look at the people who are doing it and how they treat others, how they train, and then adapting that to your lifestyle before you actually get there. Cause it's so hard. Like I think it's the one in a million people that can roll out of bed and play a good round without anything or roll out of bed and throw 97 miles an hour. Like you'll have those people once in a blue moon where it's like, whatever they do, they're just good. But for every single person on the planet, you have to be able to kind of put yourself in that mode before you get there. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's not like, don't, no, don't get me wrong. Like I see myself as Elsa Diaz, number one in the world would mm -hmm. be still the hard worker would still be the one mm -hmm. that you see her on the range. So that's why I think it's easy to put it into my life now, right? Like it's yeah. not Elsa Diaz just hanging out and partying. That's not who I would think I would be. So, you know, going back to your question, like how you put it into reality at the same time, I do have to remind myself because you tend to get a little anxious, right? Like why am mm -hmm. I not on tour? Why am I not hanging out with the girls yet? Well, you know, the big girls and, and then you have to just say, okay, I'm here right now. This is where I am. I, you know, I gotta make the best of the situation that I am in right now. So, because that's the only way to keep staying happy. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not happy, you're not playing well. That's for sure. So, you had the opportunity to play a little bit with your sister in college. Mm -hmm. Yes. And she's your manager now. Yes. So, I'm I'm wondering how playing with your sister and also working professionally with her has shaped the way that you play golf and are, are going about your pro golf career because I had a younger brother that also played baseball, but never played with him on the same team. He was about a year and a half younger than me. So I'm curious how that affected your relationship, playing with, both playing with your sister and now also being a professional partnership. You know, having my sister at the University of Richmond, I think was, is, was one of the best experience I've ever had. I've actually often thought about this. I'm the only one in my family who's like, who's never been alone. Like I left for college and my sister came and then, um, and you know, ever since then I've just been with my sister and it's just a different, it's a level of confidence that they give you that you don't really realize. But for me, you know, I was in college and anything that could happen to me, my sister was there. And that I think was the perfect setup for her to become my manager because that year that we spent together by ourselves away from home, we really got to know each other and we got to make friends and we got to really, in a way, start to build what we wanted the Dia sisters 
to do, how we got along mm-hmm. with people and what, what we wanted our future to look like. And, you know, there's nothing better that I just remember so well us being in the van together and just cracking up. It's just different kind of jokes that you can have with your sister versus your mm-hmm. teammates. And like I said, then later she, um, she wasn't on the team anymore. And I just had somebody to go to all the time. And in a way I got my college experience being by myself, but it was also like, I have this like automatic friend who's always with me. And a lot mm-hmm. of times we have this thing that we're like, sister, we need to break up because we hang out with each yeah. other too much. Yeah. And then, yeah. okay, like, don't call me until tomorrow. And then she calls me two minutes later and she's like, I can't break up. <laughs> yeah. So um, it only made sense for her to be my manager. I mean, she's the person who knows me the best. And, and I think this happens to a lot of athletes. You always wonder what the situation is going to be with your manager and your agent, right? Are they going to put stress on you? Are they... Mm-hmm. not and my sister knows exactly how I work and I can tell her like hey like I'm I'm like stressed out and she'll be like all right sister don't worry about it and um she's just great she really understands who I am and I think as a manager she's I wish everybody had a manager like like she is to me she's great I think that's the one of the best qualities of a manager whatever it is you do whether it's sports or more creative, like, like music or producing whatever, anything where you have a manager from the people I've spoken to, like yourself that are focusing on a craft, like that craft is their job. The most important thing a manager can do is set your life up so that you can focus as close to a hundred percent on that craft as possible. So when you do have to do things outside of it, it's, okay, you have to be here at this time or this is what you're doing next week or you need to do that. Like all the things that are more the managerial role that it's as least resistance as possible for you where you can focus on golfing, honing your technique, getting better mentally and then all the other shit is uh, your sister and she. I'm sure she makes it really smooth and and seamless and she seems very enthusiastic about what she's doing yes you know she's and I think something that's really cool about my sister too is that she kind of just lets me dream real big even though we're still making our way up you know so Mm -hmm. she'll you know she'll call me okay if you're number one in the world like what clothing brand do you want to you know we gotta start taking it out you know and yeah and then also sometimes out of the two of us she's definitely the more organized one and I can just you know, I could call her at one in the morning and he was like, Hey, I was just starting to think, I think we need to get this done and she'll have it done, you know, within a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And it's impressive because she has her other job and yeah, she's a, she's a wonder woman. So that goes off something that I wanted to get into, which is the, the realities of being a professional athlete, getting paid to play your sport and also an athlete who is not ranked in the you know, top 10, top 100, but aspires to be because that's where most athletes, that's where most professional athletes are. They're not the the Tiger Woods or the Rory McIlroy's or like Mike Trout's of baseball. The, those people that are constantly in the spotlight, most of the men and women that are in the sport are fit in that category where it's like they're past the preparation stages of high school and college, but they're not in that upper echelon yet. So could you speak a little bit about what it means to be in that professional 
golfer mindset and the realities of playing pro golf and aspiring to get to that level, the day-to-day lifestyle, the things that maybe the average golf fan that tunes into a few majors a year may not be aware of? Yes. So, um, let me see, where do I start? Well, as a golfer who's just, you know, working her way to the top is, I think what I feel is that I, I have what I'm working. I have this game, right? Golf that I'm working with my dad and we're just kind of working away to find this. I don't know how much Sarah told you. My dad is my swing coach and we've been working on the biomechanics Mm -hmm. of the golf swing, which at the end of the day, if we can get, if I can get to doing what he wants me to do, then we'll have this long-term success with pain-free golf swing, which is what my dad has always wanted me to do. Now Mm -hmm. with my junior golf and junior golf, I always relied on my athleticism. There was no mechanics. There was no studying of the golf swing. There was nothing. And then in college, Mm -hmm. I was away for four years and I was trying to balance college and golf. And now I really feel like I've been able to dive into golf. Now, like you said, it's my craft. So with my dad, you just always feel like you're kind of, you're, you're going somewhere. You're, you're, you've got a plan and this is what we're going to do. And we're going to stick to it because you know, you have, that's, that's, that's what you need to do without going crazy. Because I think when I first turned pro, you have like this freedom, right? Like you don't have Mm -hmm. a nine to five job and you're always like, how do I know what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, am I doing the right thing? Am I practicing enough? And I have a friend who's a music producer and he said, Elsa, you know what to do. You just eventually have to trust that you're going in the right path. And so then, you know, after my first year of professional golf, that, that first year on the road is when you are trying to test out how long you need to be on the road. I've, I've seen that my max is about like three weeks and then I have to go mm-hmm. home. I don't care if I have to go 24 hours or what it is, but three weeks on the road and then I need to come back and then I keep going. And then you figure out if you, if you like to travel with someone, if you don't like to travel with someone who's mm-hmm. better as a caddy. And now that I'm on my second year now, it's just, it's a whole different year. And I think that you just have to trust that every year you're gaining these experiences that are going to help you get to where you're going in the yeah. way you also, you know, it's that something that I struggled with so much in the beginning was the being unfamiliar with something mm-hmm. like when a, you're in a new town, you're by yourself. And I just couldn't, couldn't get comfortable with that feeling. And now that I'm on my second year, now you're like, okay, I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable all the time. Like it doesn't matter where you are. You just figure it out. And your life literally just becomes like, I think like when you're traveling, you're like, okay, I'll just go home and do this. But now on the Mm -hmm. road, you're just now the road is your life. So your life is now applied on the road all the time. And that's what I just think that I've really seen that slowly you just let the life kind of build you and you just trust that it's, it's going to make you who you want to be and get to where you want to go. And then it's just no looking back. You just trust and that's all you can do. You know where you're going and you know where you can be. So it sounds like there's not as much of a separation between your life on the road and your life playing and your lifestyle. You've thought a lot about how you want to live within the game of golf. It's not It's not a separate thing to you. Yes, no. I think once it becomes like... You know, because golf, I don't feel like it's my job. I mean, I treat it, Mm -hmm. I give it as much as I would a regular job. 
mm-hmm. probably a little bit more, but I do see it as a vocation. And once something becomes your craft, everything you do from the moment you wake up and I'm going to go walk on the beach because it's good for my mental game. So I'm just going to go, you know, or sometimes I'm going to go hang out mm-hmm. with friends because I need a balanced life to play good golf. You know, like everything you start yeah. doing, it becomes, but that's how I've treated it. That's how I've really, that's what, how I've really liked to see it. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I selfishly want to know how you, how do you get separation between your performance and, and leaving your performance on the course and then being someone who lives well with other people and, and still caring about how you treat other people and, and hang out with your friends and experiences with your family? Because I was not great at that while I was still playing baseball. My performance would make me a great or a shitty person, depending on how I did for maybe sometimes for the week until I pitched again on Saturday. So so for you, how do you kind of compartmentalize the performance and then also allow yourself to live and have fun, whether you had the best round of your life or the worst round of your life? I think I've had, I think I, I definitely have to give this to, you know, my family. I think my parents were always big on, you know, you have a good attitude no matter what. I remember one time I was like, when I was a junior golfer, I was like, I was an athlete, you know, I just thought like, I was like so cool. And I was, and I was like one of those like super mega one, super mega focused athletes. And I remember like one time I might've just, uh, I was, I was upset about something. And my mom was like, I'll take you off the golf course. If you keep that up. And I was like, oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> um, but you know, I think my, my parents were always real big on having that, um, that overall lesson about just no matter what happens on the golf course, you have to be able to kind of leave it out there. And I've, and after my parents taught me that I've looked a little bit more and I've studied a little bit more about the subconscious mind and the mind. And one of the things that they talked about, um, in the books that I've read is just saying, if you get mad and you get upset, then you're telling your brain that's the reality, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, when I have a bad round or I don't get the things I wanted to get done, if I let it affect me, especially emotionally, that's going to stay in my mind for a long time. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just takes forever to rewire that. And it's taken me a lot to remind myself that at the end of the game, at the end of the day, it's just a game. I could be doing something that I don't want to do. And I think in my journey with golf, it's really been the people who have helped me keep going. Right. Mm-hmm. It's my dad that I call him and I just tell him I, you know, had a bad round and he's like, Oh, just go get some ice cream and we'll fix it. You know? And yeah. my sister, it's okay, girl. Like next time, you know, and you have no money. You have no idea how many times I'm there sex me. Like, it's all right. It's okay. And to hear that from your manager or from your coach, even when you're like, eh, you know, it's not, I had a rough time. It just kind of helps you. And if you, and I've seen, if I, you know, like, all the people who have hosted me all, you know, when you play good and the tournament director comes and pats you on the back and be like, Hey girl, good round. The, that's the, that's kind of the reason why you end up doing it. So I'm like, why wouldn't I treat the people around me the way they treat me when, when you're at your high, you know? And so that's kind of what I've tried to keep, keep in mind. Yeah. I, w- I wish I had more of that mentality when I was playing. I, w- I always thought that if I had a bad performance, 
somehow I owed it to the game of baseball to be sad for a certain period of time or somehow people wouldn't think I cared as much yeah. about, yeah, think, think I wouldn't care as much about baseball. It was kind of almost like an act in some ways where I was like, all right, like I just pitched like shit. If I'm happy, people are going to be like, what the fuck are you happy about? Like, what do you have to smile about? So I have to be angry at myself and, and be mad. And then I actually was angry and mad at myself. And it was kind of like this cycle of my mood being dictated by my performance where now looking back on it, I realized how bullshit that mentality was and how the guys that I've played with that go on to play pro ball and and some of the guys that I've been lucky enough to know that I've gone on and, and played major league baseball are all usually like the guys who can have, be happy, have fun, go hang out with their friends. Even if they just, you know, shit the bed in a game like you wouldn't be able to tell they kind of walk off the field and they're like oh whatever like I know I'm good I'll be fine the next time so so it's it sounds like you you definitely have that mindset it's you know I would definitely it, I would say that it definitely took has taken me a while like I think from college golf and I think maybe a couple months ago I like it kind of I realized it that like my how quickly you just turn it around, you know, you finish the 18th hole and you're mad. And then by the time you sign your scorecard, you should, you you know, I've, it's, it's already, it's another day, but I, you know, I just hate, I didn't hate is a strong word, but I wouldn't like to, I didn't like seeing players that would, when they play good, they were all like joking around and having a good time yeah. only when they played well, you know, that's yeah. not, that's not fun. That's not, I didn't think that was cool. So I just wanted to be a player that even when I play bad, when I play good, I'm exactly the same person. Because if you're that happy person, only when you play well, nobody's going to celebrate with you. Nobody's going to be happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. It's, it's, it's been little lessons that I think I've been learning. Um, you know, sometimes you really do have those bad days and you just need to let it out for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's something that I started to embrace towards the end of my baseball career and also through podcasting is that it takes a lot more discipline to stay lighthearted and happy despite what just happened on a, a podcast or a, or a baseball performance, whatever it is. Like it, it, ta- it takes more discipline to be calm and, and be willing to joke when things are going good and bad rather than just when things are going good because anyone can act mad when things are not going well and anyone can be happy when things are. Yeah, it's part of the whole thing. Yeah. So I was reading that you once had a, or this might've been more than once, but you had a, a conversation with Rory McIlroy after a, oh, yeah. after a poor performance on his part at Augusta on a, on a oh, Sunday. Yeah. And you asked him about what happened on Sunday. And he said, quote, I was trying to be somebody I wasn't, end quote. And so I was wondering for you, is there a time where you tried to play like somebody you weren't? And if so, wh- what is your feeling or what what is your outlook on on that round or, or that period where, where you were playing outside yourself, if, if you ever felt like that? Yes. And I think I mentioned it a little bit 
earlier that when I was a when I was a junior golfer, I had the idea of being an athlete and a really good golfer as the mega focused, the mega serious, don't talk to anybody right before you're around. But I just didn't know any better, right? Like I just thought that that's what it took. And it took a lot of discipline and hard work and just kind of beat your body until it can't go anymore. And then you'll play well. And I was a, I was a decent junior golfer. I think as I started getting closer to college, I realized that I was like, this doesn't match my personality. Like I, mm-hmm. I was like one person off the golf course and another person on the golf course. And I didn't like that. And so in college golf, I told myself, okay, I'm going to try to be myself on the golf course, like my personality. I want to have fun because I like having fun outside of the golf course. You know, I like to smile. I like to laugh. So I was like, I need to have them become one because if not, I'm going to hate this. Right. If, if yeah. I'm making myself be serious in golf, it wasn't going to work out. I, and, and, you know, it's a long journey and I hope to play golf for as long as I can. So I wanted to make sure that at the end of the day, I was having a lot of fun inside of golf and it took a long time. I definitely mm-hmm. think that it was like, I would say my all four years of college until I finally felt like, you know, people would tell me, Oh, I enjoy watching you play. Cause I, cause I want to play, you know, on the big, you know, with the big girls and on the LPGA, but I want people to enjoy watching me play. I want people to get the same joy that I have, you know, playing golf. And so that's what, and when, you know, and he told me that I was 17 when I met Rory. And when he told me that it was like, okay, it, it like reaffirmed that I was kind of headed towards the right way. And I just, you know, I, when I'm playing golf now, I feel like I'm in my element because I feel like my personality matches my golf game and I'm just headed towards greatness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, I also, as a fan, people enjoy personalities. People like seeing emotions that they feel reflected in other people that that that's exciting when someone you know pumps their fist or you know maybe lets like a f bomb fly after a crappy drive or whatever but like and there's a way to show emotions without being emotional and i always respect the the men and women who can play like that in sports to to have the the confidence to be like, this is who I am. These are the emotions that I'm feeling. While I'm not going to be controlled by them while I'm playing, I'm still going to show who I am. And people, people follow you both in person and on social media because of that. And and I'm sure you've seen that where sometimes like the fans that will, the players that get a lot of fans following them on a course, a lot of times it might just be like a big personality or someone that everyone likes, despite the fact that maybe he or she is not having the best round or they might not even be in the top contention. It's like they want to see that person play and they, they, they're fans of the way that that person plays. Yeah, because, you know, at the end of the day, we re- I mean, people are coming to watch, watch, watch us have fun and play good golf, yeah. you know? So there was, it doesn't make any sense to me. I actually feel like I'm more myself now on the golf course than I am when I'm not playing golf. So Okay. That makes sense. It's been a good transition. So I got a tip from your sister, Sarah, to ask you about dating on the road and, and dating as a pro golfer. Is is that something that you feel comfortable going into? Yeah, let's do it. 
the love okay. life, the lovely love life. Yeah, because I'm I'm in somewhat of a long distance situation myself right now, so wow. I I'm also interested for for selfish reasons as well. But how, oh. how have you navigated the dating dynamic, being on the road as a pro golfer, for which you said sometimes weeks, maybe months at a time? Yes. So I think I actually need to give it to Sarah because when I came out of college, I didn't really start dating seriously until I was in college because I was, you know, focused on playing division one golf. Well, actually I'll let you know, I had a boyfriend in fifth grade and I came home and I was like, uh, I told my family, I was like, I have a boyfriend. And my dad was like, uh, no, you don't. <laughs> so yeah. I broke up with him and then I didn't really date. I mean, I talked to guys in high school, or whatever. I didn't really date until college, but even in college, I just had it all wrong. I thought I've always felt like golf and my life were two separate things because mm-hmm. I would see it like dating felt like more normal life, right? Like after work, after five o'clock, after work, you go have dates and you need to hang out with friends. So you get to know people. And I just felt like in golf, it was just very much like I'm on the road for a while. I need to go, you know, this guy, we're talking, we're not going out. I'm not very sure what's going on. And it just like, my mind just felt split. Like I was like, I just feel like I'm living these two worlds. Um, Elsa mm-hmm. golfer and Elsa maybe talking to this one guy. And my sister was like, sister, you will find somebody doing what you love, right? Like, she's like, don't worry about it. You're going to find somebody with what you do. And after she told me that, I was like, yes. And I've just been thriving <laughs> off of that. Like, I, I, it's just, um, I now just play golf and I just, you know, the world is good to you and sometimes throws you in a little curveball and you meet somebody. And um, it's actually very nice because, if they don't want to deal with your golf schedule, then easy. It's not the one that's as easy, yeah. you know, as easy as it can be. And I think that golf in a good way puts a lot of pressure in the relationship and communications, because if you're gone and you don't hear from them, you're not communicating well, then also that's not the person who I'm going to end up mm-hmm. being with. So, and we've, you know, my sister travels a lot too. And we've just talked about, you know, if the effort's there, the effort's there from both sides. I've always felt like it's, you know, it's my career that makes it tough. So, um, I always try, you know, if I really like the person, then great, you know, and, um, I'll give the effort. And if their efforts, um, there, then, then, you know, it's you, you work it out, but it's definitely tough. And I think I like to have like the important conversations pretty early on because it's like, Hey, are we a thing or not? Because I'm about to leave. How am I going to know? You know, yeah, it's like, what are we doing here? (laughs) If if somebody asks me out on the road, can I say yes? Or can I say no? Or sometimes, you know, if I'm going to be on the, on the road and I have a weekend off, I'll fly back for you or, you know, or maybe Mm -hmm. you can fly over here, but if we're not nothing, then I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you need, you need a clear communication and signals from someone of what they want, especially being in in a long distance relationship. Yeah. um, But I've really enjoyed it. I've come across some wonderful guys. um, And I've really like, like, I just get so inspired with like, when you, when you get to spend time with someone and get to talk to somebody, you learn different things about them. And I'm always like, Hmm, maybe I can apply this to my life, you know? Um, And I think that's, what's really fun about dating um, and you know, it's, it's, we've, it's the Dia sisters. We always talk about like, okay, if you're, 
if you love and you're like falling in love with this guy, just go ahead. And if he breaks your heart, you'll go pick up the pieces. Like, don't worry, girl. Like you just, just go hard, have fun. And it's, uh, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And like I said, I've dated on the road. I've dated, not on the road, um, dated athletes, non-athletes that we're, we're trying to see what works the best. Cause it's, it's a lot for sure, but uh, it's a lot of fun. So what, what's your best long distance dating advice or, or advice for communication now that you've been through it a little bit for someone who may be in a long distance thing, whatever it is, their job's pulling them away or maybe they're not seeing their girlfriend or boyfriend as much. What are your best tips for keeping that, that spark alive? Oh, that's pretty good. Okay. So I will let you know that I was so used to like the texting back and forth all the time, communication 24 mm-hmm. seven, you know what I mean? But not too long ago, I got to see the other side of it where it wasn't communication all the time. And that was really cool because it just felt like I could have my own life. And if he called me or texted me, it was like, woo, you know, it was like super cool. And it was also, it was a great yeah. surprise. And he was kind of doing his own thing and I was doing my own thing. So that, so that really got me thinking because, you know, we, I think, especially as millennials, we're just so used to being on our phones all the time. And this mm-hmm. really having this, like, getting to know this guy in this way really like got me thinking that it was just nice to not have to have my phone all the time. And it almost seems like we made greater efforts to see each other because we weren't texting back and forth all the time, you know? So my advice would be, oh God, that's a really good one. You you made me think of some things too. Like what? Tell me, tell me, tell me. So, all right, I'm, I'm not going to let you get out of giving your advice, but I'll, I'll, I'll give a, I'll give some of my insight that I've learned through trial and error is um, to always to to be really aware of the communication styles of each person because I tend to be more on the lower frequency side of the spectrum where I'll fire off maybe a text or two a day. And that's just me. Like I, I, sometimes the other person might think that I'm being cold or not care about them when really I just wanted to save it for a FaceTime or tell them in person. Like it wasn't me not wanting to tell them something important that happened in my life. It was more, I wanted to tell you this in person. I feel like if I texted it, it would kind of like take the steam out of me saying it to you. Like I wanted the first time that I said this to you for you to see my face and things like that. So now I'm more aware of, okay, not everyone has my communication style. Some people, if they don't know what's going through my mind, may assume that I'm trying to play games or or whatever, when really I am communicating how I feel comfortable communicating and I'm willing to adapt that within reason. Some communication styles, if it's too different, then maybe it, it may not be the right person. But being aware of how the person that you're talking to or in a relationship with communicates and how they may perceive your communication style has been something that I have learned through many mistakes of not thinking about that. Okay, wait. So, but tell me about this. What happens? Have you ever met somebody who their communication style is different, kind of like me with this guy? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I remember I had an ex that 
he, when we first started talking, he would like text me all the time. Mm. Like, and I was like, Ooh, I like really like this, you know? And mm-hmm. then I like kind of ended up switching my communication because mm-hmm. that's how he was. And I really enjoyed it. Cause he was like super funny and we had a great time, you know, but then like this other guy that like the communication kind of slow, like was different. Um, I was like, okay, this is cool. I like this. This is interesting, but I'm not very sure if maybe I would want to talk a little bit more or not. So, but I think that if it was a person like you, I just think it should always kind of be pretty simple, right? Like Mm -hmm. it should just kind of work out. I mean, there's been plenty of times where I'm kind of getting to know a guy and I was like, Hey, listen, like, I'm sorry. I'm about to go on the road for three weeks. I'll text you when I get back, you know, and Mm -hmm. I do make it a point. I'm not going to ghost them. You know, I'm just right now. I just want to go on the road and just kind of be present over there and not be on my phone. But I am, you know, and and if you want to talk a little bit more, then you can be like, hey, I really like if we talk a little bit more. But I've just always think that if, you know, especially if you're going to do a long distance thing, it should just kind of be, I think it should just always kind of be simple. Or my sister and I have talked about, you kind of need to be with somebody who your communication styles are kind of similar, you know. Or be willing to adapt a little bit. So if one person's on the high frequency side of the spectrum and one person's on the lower frequency side of the spectrum to think about, how can you both be more at the center? Mm-hmm. And if it's too far away, maybe it's not the right situation. But I think I I have had successful periods of communication with people who are not my style of communication. Like for okay. example, right right now, I'm not a huge texter, but to compensate for that, I will fire off voice notes when I don't feel like texting because podcasting, like I just much prefer talking or FaceTime. And I feel like it just gets, sometimes I don't send a text because I think it'll be taken the wrong way because that person's not seeing me joking around or my inflection. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing, there's nothing in a text to indicate how I want that to be received. So there have been times where I thought I was being clear in a text and I wasn't. (laughs) And she's like, what the fuck is that? And I'm just like, <laughs> but so I'll send. So what, the, you like FaceTime? You like FaceTime her? I'll, I'll send like a voice note. Like I'll record an audio note of what okay. I wanted to say to her. Mm-hmm. If I don't feel like texting, like I'll, the girl I'm talking to now, we kind of, I kind of started this thing as a joke to send her a Monday motivational voice note. And so now every Monday, I'll just like think of something that's like half joking, but half serious. And oh, that's so cool. I'll be like, oh, I hope you have a great day. Like this is your motivational Monday. Because no, I just do don't I feel like- to these motivational Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should uh, start a subscription. And then, and then she'll be like, wait, you've been sending this to a thousand other people too. You mean this wasn't just for me? <laughs> I'll be like, sorry, babe. Gotta, gotta, gotta make the money. Gotta, gotta, gotta the pay business. the bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, that like, that's something that I, like, I realize that I, I, I prefer a certain level of texting, but I can also communicate in other ways to let people know that I care. Like the voice notes. I love the voice note. I can, press record on a text and talk for a minute and not think about it. And it comes out how I want it to come out rather than kind of like me overthinking a text, which Mm -hmm. happens a lot, kind of gets rid of that, that disconnect for me. Yeah. Well, you know, actually it made me think my sister and I actually had to have this talk because my sister, you know, we have WhatsApp, Snapchat, you know, texting, email sister, you know, we, and then I was like, all right, we got to like put 
we got to divide what, like, if you got your nails done, you can tell me right away. If it's golf stuff, if it's important golf stuff, like, Hey, you have an interview or something and I'm practicing. I'm going to like not be able to focus in uh, on my practice anymore. So Mm -hmm. we had to set up like a little system, but same thing. Like we had to meet in the middle of the way. My sister, she wants me to let her know all the, like where I am all the time, especially because she's recording stats and all that for me. And I tend to just be, you know, she doesn't hear from me. She's like, Hey, where are you? And I'm like, Oh, I'm in Alaska. You know? And she's like, what? (laughs) Um, so she's, she's definitely, been like, okay, we have to kind of like meet in the middle. And I'm like, Hey, don't, t- don't do this and this when I'm practicing or what are. So now we have this amazing Google doc and I literally put everything, you know, like Elsa, even just like a fun game. And so she knows not like not to call me during those four hours or maybe she can, or like I have practice around. So I've, it's like literally my whole life in there. So she can just look instead of calling me like in the middle of a tournament. So, um, that's amazing. That's something that we, we it took, like, it, it took us, like, we just kept on, like, <laughs> clashing until we finally figured it out. So I guess it's, it's got to be the same way in relationships. I like that a lot. Maybe, maybe you should turn uh, Google Docs into some sort of app for dating, too, instead of just the, <laughs> the, ma- the managerial relationship. Because, like, when you're updating a Google Doc, you don't get a notification, but you can put things in the dock when the mm-hmm. person checks the next time they go back. Right. And so I like that aspect of it where if you have something important to say, but maybe you don't like getting all those notifications during the day, you can just drop it in the Google doc and be like, Hey, Applebee's tonight. And then like <laughs> <laughs> the person goes in and sees it and they respond back. They're like, hell yeah. Like see you, see you in an hour or whatever. And you know, it's something I have a couple of friends that travel obviously as much as we do, like on the, you know, staff side of the PGA. And we talk about like, you know, if a guy's kind of like trying to take you out, but you're, they're being kind of slow on setting something up and you're like, Hey, we need to go out on Friday at, you know, at 6 PM because I'm about to leave for three weeks, you know, like, or like, but you don't want to be so like forward about it, but Hey, if you don't get your chance now. Yeah. I'm never going to get it because I'm going to be gone. So, um, it's really, it's really funny just because I like the, like, especially in the summer, I practice all evening till like 8 PM, you know? So if you're not penciled in, you're not getting the, you know, you're not, day's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I, tr- I try to be, I try to be as direct as possible because I have made the mistake of not planning ahead of time where if I meet someone on a dating app, I'll send a couple messages and then say, okay, how about we grab drinks at this date at this time? Because I'm so that. like routine and scheduled that yeah. I'm just like, all right, I want to know that something is on the books before I spend another, you know, hour to two hours texting you or FaceTiming yeah. you or whatever. Yes. Like, I want to know that we're actually going to meet up. Ah, I find that so attractive. I love it when they're just like, you know, now or tomorrow or whatever. I, I, I love that about guys when they do that. So keep up the good yeah. work. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll do my part. So something else that I wanted to get into is the mindset that you tap into on the course when you aren't playing like you want to be playing. Because at least for me, your A game in baseball, like your absolute A game is like 10 to 20% of the time. Like one out of every five starts, you'll have like that like, holy fuck, like every single thing clicked. And then the other starts will be like, okay to good. So for you, where does your mind go on the course when you realize you're not having your absolute A game, 
but you still have to salvage the day and and compete and work with what you have right now. I think it's all, I think that I've gotten to this place where I kind of, I see it as like a math equation. And it's the way my dad has always wanted me to approach the golf game because we are so swing based. My dad has always wanted me to really understand the golf swing. He's never wanted me, never wanted to give me bandit fixes. And so his vision has always been that if I'm on the golf course and I tend to lose it, you know, I'm spinning out to the right, or I just can't get in a groove to just, you know, be able to step back and just start going through all my notes. And we talk muscles, right? So, you know, your right shoulder, your right shoulder, I just said muscle, like your lats and your obliques Mm -hmm. and where your biceps. And so the more I play professional golf, the more I can just kind of take the fact that I'm at a professional event and just go back to two plus two equals four. And so when you're doing math, there's no emotion, right? There's no, mm-hmm. there's no like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. You just, you have to read the instructions and then you start doing math. And that's how I've started to really play my game. And that's, and that's always been the goal, but it's just, it took me so long, especially in college golf, because I always felt like I, I was like, okay, I need to play well. And I had to, you know, I wanted to play well for my team, but then I was like, how do I, how do I detach from that and go back to like the basics? And recently I've been able, if you, you know, if somebody was to look at my rounds, you can see that I, you know, I'm doing well. And then I have a couple like tumble holes and then I do well again. So I just, I'm able to regroup. And that's, that's the reason why we want to play this is because, you know, when you're at the U S open or you're about to win, you need to be able to just keep doing two plus two equals four. Yeah. So that's, um, I, I would say that to answer your question, I would say that it's not like, I just get into this like Zen and then I get out of it. It's just like, okay, I'm here to do a job and this is what I'm going to do throughout. And, you know, sometimes you get excited or you're playing well, and then you just kind of, you know, you rely on tempo or something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The reason why I had good tempo was because I was able to do that. And I actually mm-hmm. happened. Um, I won a tournament individually in college. And I remember the first round I shot 78. And I just remember thinking, ah, I'm out of the tournament. And I'm like, I'm not going to play mm-hmm. well, whatever. I just played bad. I'll just go back to what me and my dad were working on. And then I shot 68. Mm-hmm. There was a 36 day hole. So I shot 68 yeah. and I was like, Oh my God. And I was, I remember 69 was the record at Richmond. Mm-hmm. And I, I was so close. And I was like, okay, I think I just need like two more birdies to shoot the low, like sh- shoot the record. And, mm-hmm. and I just did it. There was nothing, there was no nerves or anything it, because I was going like, you know, right foot, left foot, right. You know, I just kind of kept on Mm -hmm. going forward and I, you know, the nerves weren't really, I was like excited and nervous, but it, but it was, like I said, it was just kind of like, just follow the instructions. And then the next day, of course I was like in the lead and I was super nervous, but I remember that's what I did the day before. Just follow what me and my dad have worked. And I always have these like golf swing notes that I'm like reading and I have my notebook and I like read it before I play. And I just try to maintain so you you and your dad have worked through these non-emotional internal physical cues that you can come back to consistently when things are feeling out of whack. It's less of a you always want to be right right foot in front of the other, like you said, one foot in front of the other, not thinking 
too far ahead, but it, but it's less of a m- emotional and mindset adjustment and more of a, okay, like a cold calculated thing. I'm not doing this enough or I'm not doing that enough. Yes. So it's, and, and, and it's, the, it's, you know, like the way I see it is if, you know, you're about to hit a shot over the water, 200 yards, and you're like nervous about the water, you keep thinking about it. And then you're like, wait, I have a job to do. And it's like, okay, at the top, you know, like I have to set up my shoulder this way. I have to put my head in this position. I have to get behind the front foot, all that kind of stuff. Then all the nerves go away because your mind Mm -hmm. is just focused on what it needs to do. Now that's not really like, now that's very different from how a lot of players approach golf, but this is how I've approached golf with my dad. And it's let Mm -hmm. me, allowed me to, you know, have some really great rounds and play some good golf. Sometimes it gets me in trouble as well. Right. But I like that a lot though, because it's, it's separated from the outcome and it's more focused on the, the, the process of having a good round. And I wish more coaches were like that in baseball had the mentality of your dad, because there's this thing, I'm sure it's in all sports, but it's like, if you're doing bad, you don't want it enough. (laughs) Or like you, uh, like, what am I doing wrong? It's like, you don't want it. Like you got to want it more. And I'm just like, that doesn't help me. Like, I, I don't know. Like I want to do well. (laughs) <laughs> obviously yeah, I, or I, will, I wouldn't be here it's not it's not like a most like 99% of the time it's not a desire emotional fix it's more like okay you're you're landing with your front foot too curved in or you're you know you're not getting your hips through or, or some sort of cue for your shoulder for baseball it's like one small mechanical thing can change your entire performance around not like you just got to go out there and like be a bulldog and want it and like that's all good and stuff and motivational but it's you can want it a lot and still play like (laughs) shit (laughs) yes yes and you know and and i'm sure it's the same way with you guys like it's not you can't go hard all the time there's a perfect balance right and Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say definitely my first year, I was, I was like, calm the nerves. Like, let me think, let me think, you know, you just got to shut it off a little bit and just kind of really focus. But it's funny, the more, the more you focus, the more everything else goes away. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. There's been plenty of rounds where I finish and I'm like, I focused on the right elbow too much, you know, or, yeah. ah, you know, or, or sometimes on the 18th hole, you know, you finish with a birdie and you're like, of course, on the last hole, I was finally able to just wrap it all together. But um, that's kind of what we're working on. And I think that's, that is what I'm going to take to the top and hopefully be one of the best. It sounds like a great carryover for life in general or e- even other careers. In-, in podcasting, sometimes I get too caught up in the numbers or how long people are listening to episodes or what what the geographical locations are. I'm like, Oh, I want more people like here to listen to it instead of focusing on the process of podcasting and letting the podcast perform, like letting the results play out because of the process and not trying to not thinking. I I think it's good to have analytics on what you're doing, but while you're, podcasting and same thing with like while you're playing I'm sure it kind of it might go against you sometimes to be thinking too much about the the analytical outcome and and not enough about the physical process of just what do I have to do now to Mm -hmm. have a good shot right just one single shot which I guess goes 
you know, I guess that tunes into what people say, like, you got to be in the moment and all that. But man, when mm-hmm. you're about to win the US Open, it's real hard to be in the moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, give me something to work yeah. with. <laughs> so so do you do you do any practices outside of golf that help you stay in the moment, like journaling or meditation or anything like that? Yes, I do. Well, I don't know. I, I, I would say that I don't, but I do. I have an aunt who's... She lives in San Diego and um, she's CEO of a health group com- uh, organization. And she's always advised us to write what you're grateful for, like 10 things every day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, I'm grateful for golf, grateful for, you know, the opportunities that the University of Richmond gave me. So I yeah. try to do that. I don't do it in a disciplined way because I feel like it's just, just kind of, you know, calm. And so I do that once in a while when, when I can. And I used to, I, I started doing a discipline and then once I kind of got the hang of it, I tried to just kind of do it in my everyday life. Like instead of actually having to write it, I was like, why can't I just feel this way all the time? And then yeah. I also try to, when I'm here in Jacksonville, Florida, I try to walk on the beach and I will listen to anything from, I don't, I wouldn't say motivational speakers, but you know, sometimes on SoundCloud, they'll give, they'll put like a bunch of little quotes together from different speeches. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. I'll put it in there. I love listening to that because it just reminds you. And it's not about golf and it's not about sports. It's just kind of like overall about life. And I love listening to more of those things that I can apply to golf the way I want to. Or like things like uh, Hidden Brain, uh, that mm-hmm. podcast. And I also... I like to listen to podcasts that talk about create creativity because an artist, you know, they call it the flow when they're writing music or when they're painting something. And I, I've, I, I see golf more as my craft and my sport. So I like to apply those things to here. And then I try to read as much as I can. That's a good combination. <laughs> so I said, no, but I do it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't do anything, but I do these three things all the time. <laughs> no, but that's, that's great. I, uh, I I was just listening to a podcast with this guy, Andrew Huberman, who's a neuroscientist. I don't know if you've ever heard a, a podcast with him, but he, he was talking about the scientific research behind stillness and gratefulness combined, that they have done studies with people who are purposefully bringing to mind things that they're grateful about while also being still. So it's kind of a meditation goes hand in hand and it activates similar pathways in the brain as MDMA and ecstasy. So you're getting these hits of neurochemical happiness and you're getting it like you're literally getting a boost from feeling grateful. And so for me, I I tend to think about things like I'm so uh, routine for better or worse. I, I, I try to remember that I'm not my routine and, you know, I got to break out of it sometimes and, and be spontaneous. But I, when I look at things like meditation or gratefulness, like I try to be like, okay, what is the return on gratefulness? Like, okay. Yeah. Like, uh, am what I, is this just like woo woo bullshit or am I actually <laughs> Like what is writing down three things in a journal every morning? Shout out to the five minute journal. That's a great journal if you're ever looking for something to 
write down gratefulness or your mindset for the day, but I'll write it down. I was wondering, what is the point of this? Like, it's only five minutes a day, but am I actually getting anything out of this? And then I listened to Andrew Huberman talk about it and it made me feel better because selfishly, I wanted to be like, I want to get shit out of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm grateful for the people in my life, but also I'm happy that being grateful makes me happy (laughs) too. And like, I think I always felt that, but seeing evidence of that reinforced my willingness to to do that and then kind of reinforce that being a part of my routine. So I think it's great that it's a part of yours as well. You know, it, it might, this might help you too. I, my dad, my father, he gave me a book to read in college. It was called Feel Free to Prosper. And I was like, dad, don't you think I have enough stuff to read? No, just it was like University of Richmond having a, giving us so many pages to read out of textbooks. But this book, the best thing that I got out of this book was really cool that she said, you know, if we're talking about like the laws of attraction and everything, she said, how would you feel if you already had whatever you wanted, right? So like you would be, I don't know, what would be like your goal for listeners? My goal for listeners? Having a million people an episode would be really cool. Okay, so the, what this lady was saying was saying, how would you feel if you had a hundred million, like she was like, well, sorry, let me back up. She said things that we already have for, we're thankful for and things that we don't have, we just want, right? We we become needy. You're unhappy about it because you don't have it. And so her whole idea about feel free to prosper is to feel like you already had a hundred million um, listeners. So she's like, just imagine like, how would you feel right now? And so I'm like, okay, feeling like I'm, you know, number one in the world. I was like, oh, that feels pretty good. You know, like yeah. that's awesome. And so her whole idea was with the laws of attraction and everything is that you just got to already feel it because emotions is what technically, you know, your feelings is the strongest energy that we have. So that was her whole idea. And I remember like in college, I was just like, okay, if I, how did I feel if I was already a professional golfer? And I'm like, yeah, I feel good. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I just feel mm-hmm. good. I'm just going to keep feeling that until, you know, until it becomes good, true. So that was her explanation for why you write down your things that you're thankful for. And she said, write down whatever, eight, that you are for, that I'm thankful for my family, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for my family. And then two that are not really real, but how would you feel? Right. So I was like, okay, I'm thankful for being number one in the world. I was like, oh, I feel awesome. I'm just on this vibe now. <laughs> I like so, that. Feel yeah. feel free to prosper. I'll yeah. check it out. It's a great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also just finished a book called The Heart's Code. And that's one goes in kind of like with what you... With the what Heart's you, Code. Yeah. What your friend... Uh, I said your friend. What your book is about. And it talks about like the biology of it all, which is really cool. Okay. So that's really cool. I'll, I'll check that out too. Yeah. I love this stuff. I love all that stuff that I can apply to my golf game. I like thrive for it. So I wanted to end off with a couple non-related golf questions that are designed to be more fun, but we'll see. Okay. (laughs) If you had to give a TED Talk on any topic besides your profession, which is golf, what topic would you give that TED Talk on and why? I would definitely have to do a lot more research, but I would really like to give a TED Talk about living more creative lives. Living a more creative life. Yeah, I read a book called The Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And it is like my Bible. I love that book. Um, and it's just about how I taught. And it's, what she talks about is she was like, you don't have to be an artist. You don't have to be a musician. She was just like, I'm just asking you to add a little bit more spunk to your life. And mm-hmm. I have everything she puts in that book. I love it. I really enjoyed it. And I, I would love to just 
study a little bit more about what the mind works and where our inspiration comes and why I like to play golf and you like to play baseball, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm getting so many good book recommendations out of this podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to check these out. So the last, last question I have for you is what are the most common apps that are open on your phone? I would say definitely Instagram, mm-hmm. SoundCloud, and Spotify and Pandora. I'm a big music junkie. For for Instagram, and, and I'll give you a chance, of course, to let people know where they can follow you. Is there is there someone, uh, uh, is there a golfer on social media besides yourself that you would recommend for people to follow or just like a funny personality in the the golf world, someone that's entertaining? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. Like even if you're not a golfer, you'd still look at their tweets or their Instagram and be like, oh, like that's dope. Let me see. Ooh, that's a good question. So this is not, this is going to be my recent one, but he's not. Mm-hmm. There's this guy called Bernie Fitness. I think that's what his podcast is. And he is just Bernie like Fitness? Bernie. Birdie, Birdie fitness. fitness. Okay. I don't know who this guy is or anything, but I came across his Instagram and he does all these workouts for the average golfer. Now I've been, I'm trained by a guy named Glenn Fluger in Richmond, RBA athletes. But all the things this guy does is really close to, to what my guy does. And Glenn is, he tries to you know, he's, you know, elite performers and tries to kind of build a good athlete from the from since when they're very little. So it's stuff that he's really researching this birdie fitness guy. Uh, he's put a lot of good stuff in there. Um, and I really enjoy like li- looking at it. I don't follow too many golfers mm-hmm. because I like to look at musicians and everything that everybody else is doing. And I'm like, Ooh, I like that. I'm going to bring in this into the golf world. Yeah. So birdie fitness. Birdie fitness is really good, especially if you're like into workout and stuff, if you want to be, you know, and it's funny, like yeah. I think sometimes he'll go out there and say like, today we're going to go play. And he shows a little bit of, of what he golfs and stuff. So I like it. Yeah. You, you reminded me of another question that I wanted to ask you, but I'll let you say where people can follow you first and then I'll go back to it because it won't take that long. So where can people follow you and what are the, what are the best platforms and uh, yeah. What what are your tags and stuff like that? Yeah. So I am on Instagram as Elsa Diaz underscore, underscore, underscore. (laughs) The only one I could take. That's where you'll see my most activities. I post there and I post a lot of Instagram stories about what happens on the road or conversations that I hear on the road. I really like that, like overheard in New York thing, Mm -hmm. overheard um, Instagram, whatever the guy posts, like stories and posts. And so you can't believe the crazy things that I hear on the road. So I try to post as much again on my Instagram story. Twitter, I'll get on there once in a while, but I'm not very Twitter savvy. And then Mm -hmm. on Twitter, I'm under Elsa Diaz, two Zs. And then they can also find my page on Facebook. That one is just a little bit more like just you'll see my post and kind of tell you where I'm at. But awesome. Instagram for sure. You can find you, you'll see everything on there. Yeah. And I'll I'll link all of those in the the podcast description as well. So people can can find it easily. 
Okay. So the last thing that I need to go back and ask you, because I have a lot of friends that listen to the podcast that would kill me if I did not ask you this. For the average golfer that plays, you know, maybe less than 10 rounds a year, like like five rounds a year, doesn't get out much, but wants to do as well as they can within their average golf game. And by average, I don't mean average pro. I just mean like your Joe Schmo, like accountant that goes golfing like once a month. What would be your number one golf tip or insight that you see a lot of people commit as a mistake or maybe like an easy, like a simple fix for someone who just wants a low effort thing to improve their game? What's one thing that you would say that would be helpful to to someone that fits into that category that would improve their game, a, a high return for a low effort? I would say that people need to ditch the, oh, tomorrow I'm, I haven't played in five months. I'm going to practice because tomorrow I got to play. I think that never yeah. works for a game like golf. So if you, you know, 30 minutes, grab a stick and go hit some golf balls and just get into a groove that kind of works for you. Unless you really want to dedicate a lot of time to your golf swing, I would just say, just find, like I said, do it every day. So it can kind of get you in some kind of groove mm-hmm. that you can somehow rely. Some people have a, oh, I know the perfect tempo that can kind of help me play well. Yeah, You know, you can put, you can chip at home in just 30 minutes or one hour, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, at least once a week or something. And I think that really helps. You know, if you just kind of try to whip up on your buddies because everybody thinks you can just pick it up and <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, for me, for me, it's usually one beer a hole and I usually peak oh, around hole eight or nine and then downhill the last, the there last, uh, nice. the last nine. So it always works out like that. But yeah, I, I, I don't practice golf at all. And I always feel like when I take it, too seriously right beforehand where I'm like, oh, I'm going to get my shit together. Like I'm going to go out and, you know, go to the driving range three times this week. I always do worse. So now I like <laughs> embrace, I, I embrace the casualness of, of golf in my life as the average Joe walking up to the range. And I, I always do better. It's like, I'm just like no pressure. Like yeah. I suck anyway. <laughs> and I, if I have a drive that goes right down the middle, I, I let myself be surprised. I don't expect it. I'm just like, Oh, that was really nice. Like I enjoyed that. Yeah. You know, it's kind of crazy how personal people take it and how you think like everybody's just going to be thinking about all your bad shots. But you know, yeah. like as a golfer who I feel like I've seen it all, I've done it all. I play in pro-ams and I see all kinds of golfers. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm playing my own golf game. Everybody's worried about their own golf game. Like nobody's looking. Mm-hmm. So you might as well just go and have fun. Yeah. I, it's, it's just yeah. such a tough game. You cannot put, you can't put pressure on it. It's just, it is what it is. Especially if you're not going to practice, you know, just like you said, have a couple beers. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't want to be one of those guys who goes out and plays a few times a year and they get super angry when <laughs> he doesn't do well. And I'm like, because for that situation, golf is like a, a socializing thing. It's like, I'm here to have fun. I'm not getting paid to do this, nor should I get paid to do this. <laughs> um, but it's like that element for me, remembering that usually ends up with me doing better. So I, I like that advice. I think the average person should be less angry at their, at their, like take themselves less seriously 
when they're doing things that are they're not getting paid to do. I think that gets you get gets out like the kind of the frustration a little bit. Yeah, you know what they say: if you want to get to know a person, go golfing with them. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have <laughs> gotta be careful. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. If we if we want to if we want to get to know each other better, you can you can watch me uh, fall on my ass on the course next time. We're, <laughs> next time we're in the same city. No, no, I don't judge. We're just out there to have a good time. Sounds good. Well, well, thank you so much, Elsa, for taking the time to hop on the podcast. Thanks I, I for really do. Me. I really do appreciate it. And now you have the pro podcast set up. You can you can do uh, you can do Joe Rogan. You can do any you can do anything now. I just click the reverb and I start singing. That's what I do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, uh, no transition. As soon as I get <laughs> off of this, you're going to start recording music. But, but yeah, thank you. Thank you again so much. Yes, of course. It was very nice talking to you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Augzoro. If you haven't already, please hit us with a five-star rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. This helps us appear higher in searches, which means more people will find out about Augzoro. Other ways to help get the word out is telling a friend, tagging us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, writing a blog post, or supporting us with a donation on Patreon. We are a completely independent platform and we're grateful for every listener who supports this podcast. Thanks for coming along for the ride and I'll see you guys next time.